You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Great to have you on board here. If you don't like that, in just a moment, my guest who played 15 years in the NBA will be joining me. But first, I want to tell you that today's podcast is brought to you by New Works Plumbing of Sacramento. For your plumbing needs and repairs, and remember, they're available to you around the clock 24-7. Just go to newworksplumbing.com, wrxplumbing.com new works plumbing they've got a fix for you again check them out just go online that's newworksplumbing.com n-e-w-w-r-x-plumbing.com my guest played 15 years in the nba a remarkable story because he didn't start playing basketball until high school and ended up being the eighth overall pick in the draft a couple of years later. He played four years also in Sacramento. It's an absolute pleasure to welcome to the podcast, Olden Polony. So, P, how are you, man? I'm good, Grant. I'm so happy to be here, man. Thank you for having me on. Well, it is my pleasure. You know, that's one of the most remarkable stories, and I've been doing the NBA and pro sports for many decades. But the fact that you didn't start playing basketball until late in high school, and then a couple of years later, you hear your name called eighth overall in the first round. Of course, from Haiti, moving to the United States, growing up in the Bronx. What got you into basketball, OP? Take me back to high school. What was the avenue to get you to play basketball? The avenue was a little five foot four, maybe. I think he's five four. He might be five three. High school coach named John Carey, who had the presence of mind to explain to my parents, you know, most Caribbean families or foreign families, basically, you know, it's all about getting education, you know, for their kids, making sure they get a good education. And the only way I saw myself getting into college was to get a scholarship. And he used the word free with my parents. That was it. <laughs> it was right. over after that. Here, take them, take them, take them. <laughs> that's funny. And that's, it was as simple as that. Just trying to get a college uh, scholarship. You know, it's amazing. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you grew up very close to Rucker Park, which is one of the most famous, uh, you know, basketball areas in the United States of America. Some of the great, great New York icons grew up playing there, and you used to walk by there and look at it, and you had no interest, correct? No, not even that. I lived directly across the street. Wow. 
Like I could I could watch the games from my ninth floor window. Wow. That's how close I, I literally it was like go down to the elevator, walk across the street. Rucker Park was right in front of my, my building. Hmm. And had no interest in basketball, didn't like the game. Even when Mr. Cat was trying to teach me how to play the game, I hated it. The ball would hit me in the hand and I'm like, ouch, this thing hurts. And you know, because my thing was soccer. You know, I played soccer growing up. And so I had no interest in the game. And, you know, because I just, I really didn't, you know, again, it was the mindset of, you know, just trying to get education. But I realized once I got into it, I had to put my all into playing basketball. And that's when Rucker Park became a big part of it. Because that's, if I wanted to get better, no better place than Rucker Park. How old were you when you immigrated to the United States from Haiti? And what do you remember the most? What was that experience like for you? I was seven years old. I hadn't turned eight yet. It was right before my birthday in November. Um, so I remember getting on the – well, first of all, let me go back. I remember my father leaving to come to the U.S., you know, to work and everything else. And then he sent for my mom. So my dad left in 68. My mom left in 70. And me and my two siblings at the time left in 72. So I, you know, we get to the U.S., you know, finally seeing our parents, you know, my dad after four years, my mom after two. It was amazing. And I always like to tell this story. It's like, I remember when we got to New York City and at, at the time, you know, the, the World Trade Center was there, um, I believe, and the Statue of Liberty. But I mostly remember the, not the Statue of Liberty, um, the Empire State Building. And... I realized, I was like, oh, my God, giants must live here. <laughs> you know, as a right. kid, I've never seen buildings that tall before. And so I just assumed that there were giants living in New York City. <laughs> That's funny. Well, you were a giant. I mean, you were a giant who ended up playing basketball. And, and so you go from the Bronx in New York and you end up playing for Terry Holland in Virginia, how did you go about choosing Virginia? What made you end up in that region of the country playing for such a well-known coach and an excellent program? Well, you know, I got recruited by, you know, quite a few schools once I got good at basketball. And it's so funny because, again, I started playing my sophomore year. And junior year, I'm an All-American. Senior year, I'm an All-American. It's like crazy how hmm. this thing evolved. And so I was like, okay, I'm getting good. All these schools are writing me letters. I got over 150 um, scholarship offers. So now I'm choosing my school. But the deciding factor for me was Jim Laranega, who's the coach at University of Miami now. At the time, was Teddy Holland's assistant and also my high school coach's best friend. They, they both grew up together. So I was like, oh, man, I want to go somewhere. If I do go somewhere, I at least have somebody that has a connection to my past and my high school. And so I could always call Mr. Terry, hey, you know, I'm not happy here. Can you talk to him? You know, it was that kind of mentality. I was like, hey, I have the connection. And it was as simple as that. But also now, mind you, I had a really great visit at Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I went to all boys. Catholic school. I had never seen all these beautiful women walking around like that. I was like, oh my goodness. And it was so funny, Grant. 
I get to college the next year, I don't see not one of those girls. (laughs) 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 You know, I think of Virginia and I think of Ralph Sampson, and I got to know him very well in his brief time with Sacramento, and I love being around Ralph. And once you got to know Ralph, once you got in his inner circle, I mean, he was great to be around. What do you remember about Ralph Sampson? Oh, man, he took me out on my visit. And, you know, that was his senior year. And I just love the fact, you know, he was bigger than life. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, my goodness. You know, just being in his presence, I was like, oh, my God, this is like, you know, play of the year. You know, I remember him against Patrick Ewing in the game of the century. So it was just, but he was like the nicest guy, you know. And just like, he's like, hey, man, this is the deal. Okay. And he broke it down for me. He didn't, you know, he didn't hold anything back. And so I was like, you know, that was really cool, you know, for somebody of that magnitude to take the time to, like, just talk to me and share stuff with me. So I really appreciated him for that. You know, OP, two things I've really admired and respected about you over the years. The first thing is maybe you wouldn't play well in every game, but it wasn't because you weren't busting your ass. I don't ever recall watching you take a playoff. You played hard every game, and I always admired that about you. And the thing that I respected probably more than anything about you, and maybe I didn't realize it until you had left Sacramento, and I don't have any problem admitting that to you, is that you weren't ever afraid to say, you know what, I messed up, I'm sorry. And I've always respected you for that. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Well, my grandfather taught me that. You know, a man owns up to what he's done, and that's it, you know, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. You, know, you just got to, you know, it's got to be mad about it. Well, the reason why I say that, you know, you and I had a couple of issues. I mean, it weren't big. You know, I have a radio show, and I'm opinionated, and you got into a couple of, you know, uh, issues when you played in Sacramento. And I will never forget this. I don't know if you remember this, but you called my radio show one day, and you said, hey, Grant, I, I just want to let you know, Hey, I'm sorry. And, and I said, Hey man, I'm sorry too. You know, it was kind of like, it was kind of a kind of like, Hey, I'm going to put my arm around you. You're going to put my arm around me and we're not going to do it privately. We're going to do it publicly, but you're the one that took the, the initiative to do that. And I've always remembered that. And I was like, wow, this guy, I respect the hell out of him for doing that. I don't know if you remember that phone call, but that still sticks out in my mind. Oh, no, I do remember. And I had to do it because, you know, it's like I kept hearing stuff from people. And I was like, I got to handle this myself, you know, no matter what it was that happened between us, you know. And it was like, it was like some, it was actually some minor bullcrap. Right. Yes, it was. You know, I just felt like, hey, you know what? Again, as a man, I need to reach out. If I sit back and wait, sometimes we want to sit back and wait and it's like both parties are sitting and waiting, okay? <laughs> Somebody takes the first step. And so that's all it was. You know, I just wanted to reach out because, again, I don't like, I don't want to have enemies. I don't want to have people mad at me for certain things, especially if it's like, you know, miscommunication or something mm-hmm. that's going, you know, that could be easily remedied. And so that was my thing because I've always liked you. And so I was like, man, what the? How the hell did we get to this point? <laughs> right. Yeah, you know what? And I, I, the reason why I'm bringing this up is on my podcast for about the last year, I really tried to stress this. And as you get older, you learn and you you experience different things. And what really bothers me about what's going on in our society now is people don't want to talk. I mean, it led up to the election and people lost friendships and they ended you know family members they kicked out of their house and you know the race issues in our country and I don't understand why it is 
that two people just can't talk. Maybe we have different opinions, but I listen to you. You listen to me. We sit down and we talk about everything. And at the end of our conversation, regardless of whether we agree with each other or not, we respect each other for having a mature adult conversation. And I wish more people would do that now. I think that's really lacking in our society. It definitely is, man. And I, and I feel bad because it, you, you, you hit it all on the head. We have become a society of, you hurt my feelings. You hurt, you made me upset. You know, it's like, dude, let it go. It's not that serious. A lot of stuff, you know, and I remember, you know, and I reached out to you because like when you ended up losing your job, you know, and it was like, what? Are y'all serious right now? Because that was my mindset. And again, it's not about anything other than the fact that, hey, we all should be able to have an opinion. No one's hurting anybody. No one's, you know, I didn't pull a gun out on you. I, you know, it's that kind of thing. It's like, it's words. Like, we all bothered by all the wrong stuff. And it bothers me because we're in this society now. You know, there used to be a time where, you know, yeah, some of this stuff might be funny, some of it might not be. But at the same time, it's like, hey, let's sit down and talk. Okay. You have your opinion. I have mine. You know, if we can meet somewhere in the middle, great. If we don't, fine. But the respect should always be there. Correct. Cancel culture. You know, cancel these culture. Are living in this yep. damn social media bullcrap that's fake world of theirs. They just want to, like, lash out at people for whatever's going on in their lives. And I'm like, dude, that's why I try to stay out, off of that thing. I'm really glad you just mentioned social media. I want to read you a tweet from a former Major League player named Kevin Euclid. And I read this last summer, and I read it on my podcast every so often because, to me, it hits everything right on the head. Kevin tweeted, the mental health and well-being of our country is deteriorating, and social media is the culprit. The constant hatred towards others that don't share the same opinions is tiresome, and unhealthy for our society. We all need to be better so the next generation is healthier and happier. How awesome is that, OP? That is awesome, you know, and and it's true. It's like we've, we've I, I akin it to uh, the Matrix. You know, it's like this is the real world. This is the world we, you know, it's, it's that kind of thing now because people are living in this make-believe world and think it's real. And that's what troubles me because it's like, a lot of this stuff is mental health because you don't have the capacity to like say, hey, hold up, this is not real. And it's unfortunate. Like, I remember there were kids committing suicide, you know, and I don't take that lightly, but it was like, because they were being bullied on the internet, dude, just turn the damn thing off. Mm -hmm. Because my thing was, I knew my bullies, Eddie Green and Tyrone Holly. I still remember their name. They used to whoop my butt. I remember them because they were physically there. But I'm not going to get bullied by somebody that's 10,000 miles away or 5,000, whatever it is. I'm just going to unplug. I'm going to get off the computer and be done. Come on now. It's as simple as that. You talk about being bullied, and I'm going to take you back to your early childhood in Haiti and then moving to the United States and going to Virginia and ending up in the NBA and playing against, you know, some of the greats and, and, and the physical attributes and everything. But your perseverance, your drive, what you experienced growing up, how much did that define you 
when you became a professional athlete with the mental fortitude and coming out to play hard every night. And again, maybe you didn't play great every night, but you played hard every night. You earned your paycheck. Was that from your childhood? Is that how you grew up? Oh, yeah, it was from my childhood because I grew up, you know, I was born again, being in Haiti, the poorest nation in the Western Hemisphere. Mm -hmm. I was born with a deformity. And so I had the, you know, I had a cast on my legs for two years, the first two years of my life, because they had to reset my feet to point forward. And so growing up like that, you know, having to walk at a later age, you know, coming to the U.S., having to learn how to speak English, you know, and all these things, and then being bullied by all the American kids because I had that little accent of mine. You know, because I couldn't say certain words. And so it's like all those things toughened me up and made me a a stronger person. So when basketball came, basketball was easy. And I do say that fervently. It was easy. That was nothing compared to what I had already been. And so to me, I was like, okay, so I got to take the ball, put it in that basket, run up and down play defense. That's why I was so good at like scouting players because I could see tendencies and all that. So yeah, basketball was, that was nothing for me. And so I just, you know, but I used all, everything I had learned growing up, you know, one other thing, going to school in Haiti, we used to have to hide under the desk because there was gunshots ringing. Wow. And so people don't realize those are the things that we were dealing with you know, at five, six years old. And so, again, coming to a country that didn't have that, you know, you you have crime here, but you didn't have gunshot ringing, you know, coming through the glass while you're sitting in class. Mm. That's unbelievable. Well, you know, we think about Haiti and we see the the – Remember the horrible, devastating earthquake and people being trapped for days and the ravaging storms with the bad hurricanes. I mean, the, the people in Haiti, and again, I've never been there, so I'm asking you, that they, they have to be resilient as hell. Very resilient, very. I mean, the pride that these people have and the resiliency is incredible. And again, that's where I came from. Mm-hmm. And then reading stories about the country, you know, how we fought for our independence, you know, this Saline and all these other gentlemen that really fought against Napoleon. I mean, it can only give you pride to know that you come from, you know, a country like that. Even though we have the devastations and everything else, we are still a proud people. We keep fighting, we keep fighting, we keep fighting. And that's how I've lived yep. my life. I just, I'm just going to keep fighting well, no matter said- what I've done. You sound like Samuel D'Alembert because I got to know him well when he played in Sacramento, and he, he told me the same exact stories. I think that is fascinating. Let's fast forward to your four years in Sacramento. People ask me, gee, what's the greatest memory that I have of being in Sacramento? And in my top three is game three against your former team, the Seattle Supersonics, when you guys had gone up to Seattle and won game two against the number one seed. And when you all came out onto the floor for game three, the first playoff game at Arco Arena. I've never heard a crowd quite like that when you came out for those warm-ups. I'll never forget that. Man, Grant, let me tell you something. I don't think I ever told anybody this. I almost passed out, man. <laughs> I almost passed out during the warm-up line. I was so, like, I was hyperventilating. The, the emotion of, and listen to the, the loudness of that crowd 
And do you remember that it was like real hazy? Mm-hmm. It was like real hazy and foggy in the in the arena. And I was like, oh my god, I'm I'm like getting lightheaded. <laughs> like, That's right. That's <laughs> right. I do remember and, that. And I had gotten hurt. And yeah. I had gotten hurt my thigh, but I didn't feel no pain. That noise, oh my goodness, it was the most amazing thing ever. That series, you ended up losing both games at home, and I think when Mitch Richmond, you know, sprained his ankle, I thought Mitch on Gary Payton uh, was one of the most fascinating things that I had seen. And we know how great Gary Payton was, but Mitch, who was just a phenomenal two-way player, I actually loved playing. I actually, I think when I look back at Mitch Richmond, I actually enjoyed watching him play defense more than offense because you know how hard it is to play defense. And he relished, he loved taking on the challenge of locking down a def- or an offensive player. Oh, Definitely, definitely. Mitch is one of the best, man. One of the best two-way players we ever had in this league. And well-deserved Hall of Fame. That's why, you know, it's like when guys make the Hall of Fame, I feel like I made the Hall of Fame. You know, being you know, <laughs> right. of his and being a part of that development. And it's like, you know, like a Gary Payton, same thing. It's just, oh, my God. But Mitch was, he was a one-of-a-kind, man. And one of the funniest people you ever going to meet in life. Uh, there's no know? question. Uh, he was. He is. Uh, he's a hoot. Can, can you imagine if somebody had walked up to you when you were 16 years old and said, you know what, Olden, you're going to end up playing 15 years in the NBA. Can you imagine the look you would have given that person? Oh, please. I would have walked away, man. Come on, man. <laughs> don't, don't tell me stuff like that. <laughs> well, I mean, it's amazing. Cause you it happened. Yeah. Because, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you didn't start playing basketball until you were about that age, and yet you end up playing 15 years. Do you, do you, when you look back at your career – was there one defining moment? Was there, and other than a family member, was there one individual that you look back on and go, boy, if it wasn't for that person, my life may have been completely different? Uh, well, it goes back to Mr. Carey again. Okay. I mean, if it wasn't for him, I never would have even thought about basketball. Wow. Even when I had my growth spurt, I went from 6'1 to 6'8 you know, between the freshman and sophomore year. And that's when he came up to me. And so if I didn't have, you know, if he didn't come up that day, who's to know where I would be right now? Your first game ever, the Lakers, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You've actually shared this story with me. You've actually shared this story with me, but I find that fascinating that you walked out onto the court and were in awe of, of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. <laughs> I, I laughed every time. I, I laughed so hard crazy. when you told me that. <laughs> Go ahead. Tell the story. It was crazy because I'm like, you know, hey, they got their rings. We, you know, we watched through the tunnel. My God, that is so exciting. They get their championship ring. And then the game starts. I'm on the bench. I'm cool. All of a sudden, oh, you know, Bernie Biggs says, like, Olin, come on. I run out there. I'm like, yo, Kareem, I do Jabbar. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, my God. I think that's what started him more than anything else, the fact that I said that. I was like, yo, Kareem, I do Jabbar. He's looking at me, then magic through the ball, and he stopped the hook shot on me. I was like, God, he shot a hook on me. I was just like, I swear to God, I was having that kind of out of body experience, like, Man, shut this guy hook on me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what's funny? Uh, I had the same. I grew up in New York, too. And, you know, of course, 
everyone knew about the Lakers and the Celtics, but my first time ever at the Great Western Forum in 1988, the first year I did the Kings games, and walking in there and, you know, with Kareem and Magic and Worthy and Coop and Scott, uh, you know, Pat Riley coaching, Jack Nicholson, they're sitting there. That was – it's really hard to explain, OP. You know, and you play it. I didn't play. I was only announcing. But you could just feel the greatness in that building when you walked in there. Of course. And that's what made it so amazing. The Great Western Farm, it was like, and you know, you would always walk in, right? The game would start, but the arena would be half empty. Yep. You know, you know that's the lesson we got. It's like, okay, this is L.A. And then, but the game starts by pretty much the end of the first quarter. It's packed. But you're looking around, all your favorites, people you grew up watching, they all sit there. I'm like, wait a minute, what is this? That's what made it so amazing. You know, Jack was very friendly. You know, Diane uh, Cannon. Yep. Um, all these people were just there. Denzel Washington, uh, Wolfie, Penny Marshall, uh, everybody. It was just even people, you know, that weren't even major stars, but you had seen them on TV. It's, it was just. Man, it's, there's never going to be anything like the form, ever. I don't care what they do with stables. I don't care. There's never going to be another form again, ever. OP, when you look back at your career, do you have a part that's your favorite? Um, several. My first game, of course, getting drafted, of course. Um, the friendships I made, you know, Sacramento was one of the best. You know, Seattle holds a special place because it was my first team. And I remember how, you know, like, and that's why, like, Seattle and Sacramento is so similar because when I was in Seattle, if one person wanted to go out, the whole team went out. You know, so we kept it like that. And when I got to Sacramento, it was pretty much the same thing. You know, we all went out. We all hung out. We, you know, we'd be at each other's homes. You know, family events, guys would, like, support you. And so I really enjoyed that. And I didn't have that, like, with the other teams I played on. Nothing against them. It's just that it wasn't that close knit of a group. But I do definitely remember, like, Seattle and Sacramento were, like, the two for me. You know, like, when I was there, you know, I'd be at Mitch's house or I'd be at Walt Williams' house or Lionel Simmons' house. And we were always at each other's homes because all of us had kids. It was just it was so fun, man. <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing I take away from it more than anything else. The money, money come and go, but the friendships, those things, they last, man. I still talk to Mister Day, you know. I, you know, I try to reach out to a lot of guys. I talk to Dwayne Coswell, so it, that's the thing I appreciate more. Do you get tired of people asking you about being traded for Scottie Pippen on draft day? Um, I get tired of the silliness of it. Because people, they don't understand how the NBA life works. The trade would happen the night before. <laughs> they just couldn't announce it until, you know, the following day. But that trade had, had already been consummated the night before. So if they, had, if they were able to have done it the night before, then Chicago would have had the fifth pick and, I would, and Seattle would have had the eighth pick. That was it. Mm-hmm. We weren't, you know, we were just, technically traded for each other, but we weren't really because the trade had already happened. Is it true that you had never heard of Scott Scotty Pippen when they called out his name? I had never heard of him. 
and David Stern goes, Scott Pippen. Right, and Scott. I was like, who the hell is Scott Pippen? <laughs> we were all looking at each other like, who the hell is this guy? Scott Pippen. <laughs> Man, I don't know this dude. How the hell did he get all the way up to fifth pick? That is <laughs> unbelievable. I literally, I was getting, I was starting to stand up when he said the Seattle Superstars select. I was about to get up. Wow. And I heard Scott Pippen. <laughs> yeah, but when you hear your name called by the Bulls, I mean, I'm thinking, you're probably thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to get a chance to play with Michael Jordan, right? Oh, I, I went crazy. I went crazy, Grant. It was like, oh, my God, I'm going to play with Michael Jordan. Oh, yes. Oh. <laughs> it was that kind of feeling. Because it's like, as, as upset as I was about the fifth thing, I'm like, wait a minute, I'm going to play with Michael Jordan? Oh, hell, forget Seattle. <laughs> was that and then boom like 30 minutes later the trade announced <laughs> was that a, a a big adjustment for you i mean i guess going from haiti to the to the bronx is the biggest adjustment you could have but then you were only seven years old you went to college on the east coast in virginia and now all of a sudden you're playing in seattle was that a difficult adjustment for you Oh no, not at all. Shoot, I grew up in Harlem, New York. That was that was nothing. Seattle was like a small town compared to New York, so it was fun. But the thing about Seattle was the fact that I said this to somebody. I said I'm coming back here to play, you know, professionally. I had made that statement because when we were in the Final Four, which was at the Kingdom in Seattle, I made that statement to someone. I will end up playing here. Hmm. Wow. OP, a pretty amazing to reflect back on your career and everything that you've experienced. Update everyone on what your life's like now. What do you do these days? Well, I'm, again, you know, like I made the statement to you off, off air. It's like I'm just on this side of dirt, and I'm very happy. You know, I'm raising my kids. Well, they're not kids anymore. My youngest is turned 20 last week, like wow. three days ago. Wow. Yeah, the 28th. And so, you know, my son, who's at college right now, he's in uh, at Southern Idaho. He's seven one. He's the next Kevin Durant. So, you know, trying to manage his. No, I'm I'm dead serious. I'm, I'm laughing because I'm like, okay, I'm picturing that. So go ahead, tell me more. Like he's he's seven one. Shoots the three at a forty two percent clip. He shoots ninety five from the free throw line. He's like he's pretty much everything I wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> But they teach offensively, the game. Yeah. He, offensively, he's he's on the he's on a Kevin Durant um, stratosphere. It's incredible watching this kid and the growth. And he pretty much followed the same blueprint as me. Started late, you know. He played two years of lacrosse, lacrosse, and a year of volleyball. And then all of a sudden, Dad, I want to play basketball. I was like, Okay, let's go. Let's get in the gym. And now, you know, four years later, he's he's one of the top. You know, he's getting recruited by so many schools right now. And it's just amazing watching his development. But he's a hundred times better than I was, honestly. You know, if he wasn't my son, I would still say the same thing. He's way better than I ever could be. OP, you just said two years of lacrosse. I played lacrosse my whole life. I played in college. I played club lacrosse until I was 50. And now I'm trying to think someone that tall playing lacrosse. That had to be – what position did he play? Um, whatever the, 
I don't know, the offensive guy, yeah, like right, right in the middle. When uh, they crease, the crease attack. At, crease attack. So they had him in front of the goal, crease attack with his height. That's why I was going to ask. That's no, he I, wasn't in front of the goal. He was in the midfield area. Oh, the midfield area. All right, so he played midfield. All right, so – but he was – yeah. two years, okay. And then that that's fascinating Two years, he was like 6'8 at the time. Wow, that's unbelievable to me. You know you know who was one of the great lacrosse players to ever play? Jim Brown. Jim Brown. Yeah, at Syracuse. Yes, can you, can you, can you imagine – can you imagine trying to uh, – you watch lacrosse now because your son played. Could you imagine trying to stop Jim Brown coming down the field? Seriously. I I couldn't imagine it. And that was the thing with my son. At 6'8", it was like he was coming at people, and I was like, dude, it's not fair for you right now. <laughs> <laughs> and he was really good. He was a starter. And, you know, he, he was really good at that. I don't know where he – again, I don't even know where he got that from. He just loved playing. I think he he started he started playing with some friends one day, and then all of a sudden he he did it in high school, and I was like, okay, that sounds good. And so, you know, that's what we are. But now it's all about basketball for him. That's great. You said something that just kind of resonated with me. You said your son was everything that you weren't, but they taught the game differently when you were playing in high school and went to college. And I'm curious if you were 18 right now and you were playing basketball, how different do you think your game would be? Because, again, they don't they don't teach back to the basket play anymore. Post play is evaporating. The game is now becoming a three-point shooting game. I mean, I see box scores now where teams are taking over 53-point attempts a game. It, it drives me crazy. What do you think your career would have been like if you were 18 right now and playing basketball? Well, it'd be different, of course. You know, I'd be shooting more outside shots because that's what the game is. And that's the thing with my son. You know, even though he shoots the three and everything else, I've always, I've made sure that he always have the inside game as well. You know, we work on back to the basket stuff because I'm like, you can't fully rely on just shooting threes because what happens if you have an off night? And so you got to have something else to go with it. You know, put the ball down or run down to the post with a shorter, smaller guy on you. And so he's developed all that. And he actually has one of the things that he's embraced, uh, well, two things. He's embraced the jump hook that I used to shoot, but he's using that Kareem sky hook as well now, which no kid wants to do, but he loves it. That's (laughs) great. I was happy about that. Well, you should be happy about that. I'm happy that we were able to reconnect. I'm thrilled that you joined me here on the podcast. It's so great catching up with you, and it was great seeing you from time to time at the arena over the last couple of years. And I, I wish you nothing but the best. I, I have the utmost respect for you, and it's an absolute pleasure for me to have you on my show. Oh, thank you so much, Grant. And the sentiment is I feel the same about you, man. Total respect, man. And you keep doing your thing, man. They, they can't keep good people down. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. I'm happy for that. I'm I'm on my uh, rebound, uh, OP. You know what I mean? I'm just uh, – I'll, I'll resurface again. You can count on that. Oh, definitely. I know you will. I really enjoyed that conversation. It was awesome uh, catching up with OP. Time now for our Crowd Ultra question and answer period. If you want – me to answer your question all you got to do is go to crowdultra.com and maybe i will answer your question right here on my podcast brad who obviously asked this question before we knew where justin verlander was going he said it sounds like verlander is going to the dodgers are the dodgers becoming more of a free agency powerhouse than the yankees yeah you could make that argument obviously we know it's houston but yeah you could make that argument jake asked will we see sports not be political before the end of 2020s 
Well, before the end of this decade, no. Before the end of the next decade, no. Before, no. No. That's never going to change. The cat is out of the bag. Plain and simple, the cat is out of the bag. Josh asked, who's an NCAA football team that could surprisingly make the playoffs? I think Notre Dame, they, they could make the playoffs, and I don't think anybody thought that a couple of weeks ago. But I could see the Fighting Irish getting in there into one of the uh, top spots. Jason asked, did you see the Ottawa Senators are 100% vaccinated? and 40% of them just tested positive. Yes, all three of their games uh, this week postponed. Fortunately, what I've uh, heard is no one is really sick. In other words, like where they're on their deathbed or anything like that. But yeah, they did test positive, uh, so much so that uh, three games had to be uh, postponed this week. Phil uh, asked, did you agree with Stephen A. Smith saying LeBron won't win another title before retiring? I don't necessarily agree with that. I mean, if he's got three good years left, I could see him winning another championship. Alex uh, asked, have you seen the NFL is increasing COVID player protocols for Thanksgiving, regardless of if they're vaccinated? Yes. uh, Beginning on the Monday after Thanksgiving for the week. Yes. Uh, Not only... Are they increasing the COVID player protocols? They've got to have cameras up now in all of the weight rooms, training rooms, uh, things of that nature. They need to make sure this season is completed. And you see what is going on in the National Hockey League and some of the states in this country where the COVID rates are going north. Yeah, I understand it. I absolutely understand it. Tom asks, who are your favorite players in the NHL right now? Well, I love Connor McDavid of Edmonton. Anytime Edmonton is on, I will watch that game, just to see Connor McDavid. Ian asked, do you think Pete Carroll is right in saying the officials played a huge part in the Seahawks losing to Green Bay? Yeah, I mean, he made a good point. Uh, I thought he made a very good point. I can't really disagree with him when I went back and looked at those calls. Um, so, yeah, I, I can't disagree with him on this one, Ian. And I normally do not like uh, coaches that are complaining and bitching about officials' calls. But, yeah. I think he's got a good point. Rob asks, has Mac Jones already proven how good the Patriots franchise is? Well, yes, he's also proven that he's going to be a very good NFL quarterback. Let's not forget that he's the one that's out there playing, and he has done a marvelous, marvelous job. Ricky asks, have you read that Henry Ruggs has been ordered by a judge to appear in court after he missed a required alcohol test while on house arrest? Of course I heard about it, Ricky. He's going to court on Monday and he has to be tested four times while he is uh, at home. All right, Dan asks, here's an interesting theoretical from Bleacher Report. Who wins a one-on-one, Giannis or Wilt, in his prime? Dan, to me, this is a very easy answer. Whoever gets the ball first, assuming that it's winner take out, all right? Whoever gets the ball first, that's who would win. Ross asks, do you think the Raiders will make the playoffs at this point? I do not. Andrew wants to know how big of an impact could Matt Olson have on the Yankees if they do end up signing him? Huge. I think he would be tailor-made uh, for Yankee Stadium. I think it would be a perfect fit uh, in New York. Mike asks, what's your take on the Staples Center being renamed to Crypto.com Arena starting on Christmas? You know, Mike, I don't care. You can call it, you know, your name. It doesn't matter to me. I don't get caught up on those things. It's... Uh, the end of an era, though, as it relates to the Staples Center in downtown Los Angeles. But I don't care. I really don't. 
Jay wants to know, would you agree with Anthony Davis saying the Lakers suck right now? Yeah, absolutely. With all that talent, obviously LeBron has been hurt. But yeah, they don't look too good, do they? Make sure you go to CrowdUltra.com and ask me a question. And maybe I'll answer it right here on my podcast. It's time for Grant, Grant, Grant. And today's rant is brought to you by Roy's Umbrella for all of your home loan needs. Whether it's buying a new home, thinking of doing a refi, make sure you get in touch with Roy. I have dealt with Roy for a number of years. He is absolutely awesome. You'll love dealing with him as well. Again, for all of your home loan needs, just go to roysumbrella.com. That's roysumbrella.com. So as I record this, before the Utah Jazz host the Toronto Raptors, the Raptors being the Kings' opponent tonight, but again, I'm recording this before the game, assuming that the Jazz won last night, that would be six losses in seven games. And assuming that Luke Walton is still the coach, and as this recording, he is the coach of the Kings, you're getting the Toronto Raptors, not a really good team, on a second night of a back-to-back as you start a four-game homestead. Now, I know we talked about this on the recent four-game road trip that was a big-time dud for the Sacramento Kings, but if the Kings should falter tonight to a team that in all likelihood will be coming in with six losses in their last seven, playing last night in Utah, the Boo Birds will be out in full force. If you want to circle a game that could determine the future of a coach and many other aspects of a season, circle the game tonight against the Toronto Raptors. Again, game one of a four-game homestand. You've got the table set as well as you possibly could. You can't have it any better than you have it tonight. No more excuses. Bottom line, no more excuses. And that's my rant for today. And that is my podcast for today. And once again, my thanks to OP, Olden Polonese, for joining me. And thank you for listening to If You Don't Like That with Grant Napier. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.